Well, hello. It is July 20th, at least when you're originally scheduled to be able to see this. We'll leave it up there, of course. And we are in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 25, right in the middle of another exciting story. Paul and Silas had been um, beaten, severely flogged, it is said, placed in an inner portion of the prison and put into um, to stocks, all because they are accused of breaching the peace, which was the general uh, reason people got beaten and killed back in Roman days. They had, uh, there was, if you remember from last week, there was a servant girl who had a spirit that allowed her to tell people's fortunes. At least that's what they thought. And whenever Paul got tired of her following around saying, these people really are from God, for some reason that annoyed him. And he cast out the spirit. She was no longer able to provide money for her owner, her master. She was a slave. The master then got the authorities together and riled them up and said, these guys are going to get us in trouble with the Romans. And so they had them beat and put in a prison. Back to the story, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God as the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, just as an aside, real quick, when I was a boy, they'd read this and say, now look at the faith these men had. They'd been beaten and they were in prison, facing perhaps death, and they're just singing hymns. Maybe, maybe that's the kind of hymns they were singing. But what was the songbook of the early church? That would be Psalms. Well, just over a third of those Psalms are imprecatory Psalms. In other words, Psalms of complaint or Psalms asking God to do violence and take action against enemies. So it could have been those. And uh, those would have gotten the other prisoners' attention as well. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. Um, there are earthquakes in that area and it does say earthquake. It doesn't say, you know, God grabbed it and shook the earth. It's implied that God did this because the chains came off. The doors opening during an earthquake, that's pretty common. Uh, no earthquakes are in the Detroit area that I know about, but when we lived there, they had an expansion done. They built a new terminal, the McNamara Terminal, which at the time was just amazingly wonderful, and I'm assuming it's still in good shape today. But they did make one error, in that they had this place for automatic doors that would allow you into the parking area after you'd deplaned. The problem was that the doors rarely worked and they kept trying to fix them and kept trying for years. And this was kind of a shame because it was a beautiful new terminal and I love Detroit and I love the people there and uh, nobody, nobody wanted the brand new airport not to have doors that worked in this section. And I finally found out that when the doors were designed and engineered, the engineers had not taken into account the fact that planes would be landing and vibrating the ground nearly constantly. And that extra little vibration had knocked them off of their track enough to where uh, the electric motors would not pull them back. Uh, it, was, it was a real mess. They had to go to standard doors after that. 
in many countries, any little shake, any little movement or earthquake, and those doors pop right open. But the chains falling off make you wonder, uh, think that this is probably God at work. But there's another thing that makes me think that God's at work here directly, even though he is rather anonymous through that accounting. And that is when Paul says, don't hurt yourself, we're all here. All? I can, I can understand that Paul and Silas are still there, but how do you, how do you say, how, how'd they keep the other guys from running? That's left unsaid. And it was assumed to us in our Bible classes when we were little kids that Paul and Silas had convinced them that they had done sin and they deserved being there. And well, the fact is, most of them probably didn't deserve being there. They had just run afoul of somebody more important or richer than they were. And therefore they were thrown in there just as unjustly as Paul and Silas. And it wasn't as if Paul was saying, no, we are all, we all here as in he and Silas, no, because it said that everybody's chains fell off. So that's just, it's an odd little detail. Oh, by the way, if you're wondering why the jailer was going to kill himself, it, I am told, I, I find very few sources on this, but I'm told that if a jailer lost a prisoner, his life was forfeit. Okay, um, I, can, I can see that with the way Romans did things, but it doesn't, it makes me wonder then why killing himself is the answer, unless he felt he would be crucified, uh, he felt he would be flogged and, and paraded through the city or something first. And so it's, it's rather dramatic, but it's a dramatic story. The jailer called for lights. He rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. So evidently he knew they were the ones that kept everybody in. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, that seemed, he didn't even have the Bible study yet. Um, he didn't go to the new member meeting. How, how does he expect to be saved? Well, he knew something was going on and perhaps he had been listening to the hymns. Now, while I said, and I believe correctly, that the songbook of the early church was a book of songs, they also were still writing songs. They were, they were writing hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, I don't think you should make too hard a line here between psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I think they all kind of flow together. Uh, but hymnologists, people who study this stuff for a living, uh, have dug up quite a few hymns written by the early Christians. And so there may have been hymns of faith. But regardless, whatever Paul and Silas had, the jailer wanted. And he may not have been talking about eternal salvation. He may have been talking about, all right, with all, how, how can I save my life? Because remember, he was about to take it before others took it. He may not have been talking about what church do I go to? Well, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Um, is this a transaction of some sort? It does sound that way in two different ways. One, believe and you get to go to heaven. That's saved. The other, if you want to be saved from everything that's coming, you're going to need to be under the protection of Jesus. Well, either way he read that, they spoke the word of the Lord to him. There you go. Now we know what they did next. Regardless of what he meant about saved, regardless of how he heard these things, now he's hearing the story of Jesus. The word of, of the Lord or the word of God, John chapter one, is Jesus. 
So they tell him the Jesus story, not only him, but to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. They took the Jesus road. They are now following Rabbi Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He'd come to believe in God. So that original, how can I be saved, was more likely about life than it was about sins, forgiveness, and salvation. But they brought him from one to the other. When it was daylight, the magistrate sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release these men. <coughs> the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can go, go in peace. <coughs> All right, I'm coughing here, sorry. We've, we've gone from one allergy season to another in Tennessee. Um, that's the way it goes. All right. Interesting old twist here. Uh, and, and it raises some questions about the Christian and government and authority and when to exercise your rights. Paul says, um, they beat us publicly without a trial even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come personally and escort us out. Oh my goodness. Here we go. <clears throat> there were two main levels of citizenship in Rome. Uh, if you were born a Roman, you were in the highest level. The other was that you could buy citizenship. And they had a process where you could exchange money for that. By the way, you can do that now in certain countries. There are countries that will give you citizenship. It's, it's an economic way in. If you, one of the islands in the Caribbean, there are several that do this. If you buy a property at a certain level, uh, you can then apply and become a citizen there without losing your citizenship elsewhere. So economic citizenship is not, um, not just a Roman thing. It's been around for a long time. Everybody else was not a citizen and everybody else did not have the rights that you had if you were a citizen, especially a born one. Paul was born a citizen. That meant they had no right to beat him before a trial. That meant they were now in breach of the law the magistrates were. Paul could make a fuss here and they would be flogged. He's not asking for that though. But what he wa does want is for them to eat a bunch of crow, which what I don't know where that expression came from. And you don't need to email me. I'm happy in my ignorance there. They were going to have to be shamed by coming and publicly apologizing and being seen because there was, there was no privacy there. Everybody lived stacked on top of each other have to be seen escorting them out of the city, chastised, not beaten. He wasn't going to get them hurt. He wasn't wanting them thrown in prison. Wasn't asking their families be taken from them. Paul could have done a lot more, but he didn't. But he did use his rights enough to make them think, he hopes, a little bit 
more before they start beating up the next people that come into town. The officers reported this to the officers reported this to the magistrates when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. Can't throw them out. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. We have no idea. None. What happened to the other prisoners? Did they get out? Did, were any of them baptized? Did they have to go back? How'd they take that? We have no idea. And I gotta tell you, as a story, I think Luke's a great historian, but he, he leaves out bits that people like me would like to know more about. I mean, how are we gonna ever make a movie of this? Well, chapter 17, in Thessalonica, when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollo, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This is the Christ I am proclaiming to you. And then, whew, Patrick, you're going too fast. Let me pull back. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. Remember, women had also been great supporters of the ministry of Jesus. Uh, women have shown up in positions of some power and prestige repeatedly in Gospels and also here in the book of Acts. What does it mean, God-fearing uh, Gentiles? Usually that term means Gentiles who were worshiping with the Jews, who believed in the God of the Jews. And so that's, that's generally what that means. But the Jews were jealous. Now, and, and again, be aware, the Bible uses language as they used it back then. They've already said a lot of Jews believed. They've already said that the Gentiles who worshiped with the Jews, many of them believed, many of the prominent women, then goes, but the Jews, it doesn't mean all the Jews. It means a subsection. But it, it, it sounds bad to our ears because we've been trained to hear it in a certain way. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. You can always find them. It just amazes me. Every time in history, when I see the guard, you know, a documentary on the guards for the gulag or for the concentration camps that the Nazis had or for the murderers um, that Pol Pot sent out into the fields, the killing fields, or the you know, slaughter in Rwanda, you can always find someone willing to do it. To laugh and to kill and to dehumanize and to beat and to take a gun into a school, you can always find somebody who's ready to do it. It, it is just amazing. So they went to the marketplace, got bad characters, they formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials shouting, these are the men who've caused trouble all over the world and have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. Jason was evidently of, of enough stature, stature in the community 
that they could not do to him whatever they wanted. So instead what they did is they made him responsible to keep the peace in the town. The very people who incited the riot, fed it, organized it, and unleashed it, required that another person, an innocent person, post bond to keep the peace. Hypocrisy is nothing new. Even shameless, bald-faced hypocrisy is nothing new. When we see it on our televisions and our politicians and in different movements of society, don't be shocked. We're good at it, evidently, as human beings, to our shame. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue, right back in it. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So the upper class women are really responding to this. They're the ones who are educated. They hold a lot of purse strings. Um, they have a lot of power and they are listening and they are the ones coming in larger numbers than the men in this stage. Uh, again, we generally will, you'll see churches, Berea Baptist or Berea um, Methodist or Berea Church of Christ. And the reason people like to use that name is because these were more noble. The people in Berea studied the scriptures. They were wise, intelligent, measured, and they studied the scriptures. So um, the Bereans have become a treasured and favored group among Christians, especially whenever we're choosing names for something. When Paul was waiting for them in Athens, oh, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead. When the Jews, <laughs> gotta go back, Patrick, in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Remember I told you uh, last week or the week before, these stories don't end with skipping off into the sunset. Paul is going to spend the rest of his life being hounded by people who want to keep their faith pure. Those people are still among us and they will rail on Twitter, they will rail on Instagram, they will rail on YouTube that we got to keep the, you know, the church pure by destroying my enemies and by destroying anyone who disagrees with me. The thing is, no matter who, where they are on the spectrum of left, right, I don't know, whatever spectrum you want, you'll get people lining up behind them. It's just appalling. It just is appalling. They agitated the crowd, stirred them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. So Paul was kind of the one, he was the target because he was the one that would speak up, I think, the harshest. Plus, he, was, he used to be a Pharisee and a lawyer and a member of the Sanhedrin, if we understand correctly, and so he was looked upon as a traitor. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, oh, here's a great story, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. 
Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Let's talk. Uh, well before this time, well over a hundred years before this time, a philosopher said that it was easier to find a god in Athens than a man. And the reason is that the story goes that they literally had more idols than they had people, and they were everywhere. Well, how did this happen, I hear you cry? Well, we know. Hundreds of years before the events of Acts 17, a plague of some sort, an illness swept through Athens. And it got to the point where the leaders of the city gathered the people and they said, go to your temples and pray. We don't know what God we have offended. We have offended some God. Sacrifice and pray so that this will be stopped. Well, they did, but the plague continued. We do not know what form the plague was taking, for sure. So they thought, well, we must, you know, what, what, what can we do? And they called a guy by the name of Epimenides uh, to come, who was a poet and a philosopher, well regarded for his wisdom. And they, they put the problem before him. And he said, we must have missed a God. And an unknown God is out there who is angry at us. So get a flock of sheep and release them. Wherever those sheep lie down, put up an altar to the unknown God. Problem is sheep are sheep. And so they scattered all over the place and everywhere they laid down, people put up altars. True story. And Paul's looking at all this now. They brought him to, and by the way, um, in a marketplace, the you know, national soccer league, the national baseball league, the national football league, everything was philosophy and argument. That was their sports, that was their news, that was their entertainment. And they did that, not on ESPN or CNN, they did that in the center. And so Paul goes to the center. Well, they took him to the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we wanna know what they mean. In parentheses here, although parentheses are added later, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Sounds like an old time barbershop in a small town. Paul then stood up in a meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I can see that in every way you are very religious. And I imagine there was some tittering in the crowd. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, what you worship is something unknown, I'm gonna to proclaim to you. In other words, you really did miss one. And that's the one I wanna tell you about because everybody in Athens knew about the unknown God who had been hurt. And that's why they believed they'd had the plague. So the God who made everything in the world, the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built with hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one, one man, he made every nation of, of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far 
from any one of us. <coughs> this is a very strange thing. Paul is saying you did miss him, and he's the one who made all things, and he does not need you to be served. He does not need an altar. He doesn't need a temple. He doesn't need you to do anything for him. He made you, but he also made all other men. Now, this was one of the, another new thing about Christianity was it had no racial boundaries. He says, no, every human was made by these hands and he has drawn near to you and he wants you to find him, but he isn't far from you. Well, gods back then were hard to get a hold of. And to get their attention, you often had to do long dances, sacrifices, bloody things, and sexual activities. And, and it, it was, and then maybe you wouldn't get their attention. So here's a God, the one they missed, who's just saying, he's saying, he's not far. God did this so that perhaps you might seek him. For in him we live and move and have our being. He is not, in other words, not just the creator of the universe. He is the sustainer of life himself. The people at this time believed that there were movements of cold and hot and air and soil and that that these things made you know, some sort of vacuum to make us keep breathing, uh, that everything was in this very tenuous balance. Paul's saying, no, God's got you and he's got you breathing and moving. He made you and he designed you and he keeps you alive. In fact, he says, even as your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul knew their literature. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that a divine being is like gold or silver or stone. I mean, since we are children of God, we're not children of stone. An image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Oh boy. Well, that'll get your attention because there aren't that many religions that would have come out of the chute bringing that up. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered and some still do. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Not a lot, but some, and some of them were rather prominent. Sometimes you'll preach a sermon about Jesus, and there'll be 3,000 baptized, and sometimes you'll preach it, and they'll throw you in jail. Sometimes you'll preach it and a riot will break out. Well, sometimes you preach it and they will walk away. Do you see all of these different responses and more? Do not let the success or failure, and I'll, I feel like doing air quotes there, of whatever mission you are on to indicate to you whether God blesses you or not. Because if you're doing the right thing, ask Job. If you're doing the right thing, all hell may drop on you. If you're doing the right thing, you might be bountifully blessed. And if you're doing the right thing, you might die alone in a strange land. God sees, God judges. But what we see does not indicate whether we are being blessed or not. 
we are to do what is right and let God make those judgments. Thank you for being with us. Looking forward to next week when we hit chapter 18 and we find a couple of new colleagues of Paul who are wonderful and you need to know their names. We'll talk to you then. Cheers.